Ankesh, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast this time. Um, I've wanted to have a conversation with you for some time, so appreciate you um, giving us your time. You've, of course, got an esteemed career in SaaS so far, plus 15 years in uh, disruptive SaaS uh, companies. You've led businesses like Zscaler, AppDynamics, of course, and now ClickUp. Um, yeah. What do I need to know? First of all, welcome. Thank you. And what do I need to know about your background and cash that's led you on this journey to reach the relative heights of SaaS sales? Yeah, I'll probably start off um, with my parents, really, because we're an immigrant family. They came across from India in the late 80s and pretty much with nothing or, or not a lot um, and really built up their life from the ground up. Uh, you know, my dad worked it was quite popular back in the 80s, the revolving Centerpoint Tower restaurant. So he did long hours there. Mum looked after the house um, and also worked a full-time job. So really from a young age, that ingrained a lot of hard work and discipline to do what it takes to you know make ends meet, be successful, et cetera. So that was probably really the starting point. Second bit is I played a lot of competitive cricket when I was younger as well. So competition led me to certain parts of success, at least early on in your career, but that can't be everything. Uh, and I was fascinated with leadership going through that sporting ranks as well. So I led a lot of the sporting teams, you know, bringing people together, driving to the right outcome, um, you know, motivating people, et cetera. And that really led to the second part of my career where I am now uh, in leadership. So, you know, that grounding from a young age and then that sporting background led me into a career in SaaS sales and then and now leadership in business. Yeah, fantastic. And it's it's quite um quite a common one the the migrant story right of hard work and then um sport and achievement tends to lend itself to corporate success you mentioned competitiveness was a real key definition of your upbringing is that the main one you think that's really propelled your success today no i think that gets you to a certain point uh, but then you start to get a little bit wiser and more mature and gain a bit more experience and you know that like i said they can get, take you to so far so after that, it was really starting to think about putting people first. So that could be, you know, the team, customers and partners, and how do you bring them along the ride to make them successful as well? Um, because you can't unlock that next level if you don't. Um, hard work and discipline was, again, the foundation. So hard work, again, gets you so far, but that discipline each day to do the right things, drive the right activity was a big component. And then as I got a little bit wiser and more experienced and more mature, like I just said, um, I really get, put it down to three points. So number one, listening. It is amazing how much you can learn if you just listen. It just sounds so obvious, but not a lot of people do it. So, you know, whatever meeting I'm in or conversation I'm having, I'm trying to listen at least 70% of the time, trying to understand, you know, the situation, problem, what's going on in people's lives. So then you can help because if you're talking most of the time, you, you can't get to the, you know, the core of it. The second part was around preparation. So again, that comes from a sporting background as, as well. You know, I was training sometimes six days a week, playing games, morning, you know, afternoon, et cetera, and preparing for that activity. And I pulled that into the business world as well. So, you know, obviously prepared for this podcast to make sure it's as valuable to the listeners as possible, but that's preparing for any internal meeting, any external meeting, because you've got to find out amount of time and people are busy. So how do you drive as much value in that conversation as possible? To get to an outcome and then the third bit is activity um it's a little bit to do with hard work it's slightly different you know activity is sending the most emails doing the most calls speaking to as many customers as you can you know speaking to your internal ecosystem partners etc 
And, you know, listening, preparation and activity, you can control all of those because they're in your own hands. External factors, sometimes you can't control. There's no way we could have predicted, you know, what's going on in the macroeconomic conditions right now. So control what you can control, um, take that into your own hands. And that's led to a lot of the successes across the business world for myself. You mentioned you grew wiser with time. Is there a point where purely competitiveness reaches its end and even has a diminishing return on success in SaaS sales? Yeah, look, I think if you're getting competitive as well, you're probably putting yourself first and not others. And being in the business world, you cannot do it by yourself. So if you look at the great sellers, they're always looking at different parts of the ecosystem to help leaders. I think should be hiring people smarter than themselves as well so they can help in that mission. So that competitiveness will get you somewhere, but it won't get you to that complete endpoint wherever you're trying to go. Reps um, are a key component of success as a leader Mm. and hiring the right people is, um, of course, crucial. What makes a great rep in your eyes? Yeah. It's a, it's a really interesting question, isn't it? And you'll get a lot of different answers. And I've been reflecting on this a lot and really thinking about it. Uh, I put it down to four things. Um, and I've been talking some of the things here at ClickUp as well. So the first one for a successful rep, and it's just really basic and simple, is do your pipeline generation each day, every day. Uh, that really is the silver bullet. And you know it sounds simple, but if you speak to the most successful reps, that's what they're doing. And they're being proactive and not reactive. You know, a lot of reps will say, I don't have enough leads coming in or marketing is not helping me. That should be the cream on top. Um, that PG component, again, is something that you can control and you can do, like I said, each day, every day. Um, the second bit is to embrace a sales process um, based on a value-based selling methodology. The reason I'm saying value-based selling is that it looks at an outcome for the customer or a problem that you're trying to solve for the customer. And that's why customers will spend, you know, on technology as opposed to just, you know, selling something that's, you know, potentially vapor or something with no substance. So whether you're using Sandler or Medic or something along those lines, using one of those methodologies will help you, you know, unearth the pain, build great champions. It also creates re- um, repeatability, predictability, consistency, all those things that lead to, you know, elite and great uh, performance. The third bit then is use some type of metrics data that can predict future performance. If you're just looking at quota retirement, that's a lagging indicator. But things such as how many meetings have I done this week? How many net new meetings have I I completed this week? Am I running a specific amount of trials? What's in my forecast this quarter and next quarter? They're all predicting the future. That can then allow you to reflect at the end of the week and say, well, you know, in the next two weeks, I need to do a little bit more pipeline generation, or I need to meet that customer a little bit more because I haven't spoken to them as much in the last little period. And then that helps, helps build consistency for the future. Like I said, it allows you to reflect, which is critical again in elite performance. And then the fourth component is commit to learning and development. You know, whether it's reading every day, you know, learning about the industry each week. I love to read each day, so I'll like spend 20, 30 minutes reading, whether it's something on the industry, whether it's a book, whether it's philosophy, just something that continues to improve your skills week on week. Because you know what it's like, John Joe, the market is changing so much. There's new technologies coming out all the time. It's really difficult to keep up to date with everything or rely on someone else to help you with that. It's really on your own shoulders. And again, all of those four components are in your own control. I'm not talking about anything in the external um, environment and even in these 
you know, a little bit more tricky economic conditions, you can still do all of those four, um, four components. With those ingredients, do you feel that reps can go from good average contributors to become great? Uh, absolutely. Um, so look, even when I started at App Dynamics, I thought I was great, <laughs> but when I reflect back on it now, I was good. I had the right ingredients, um, you know, the right motivations, the right passion, but I truly didn't know what great looked like. And coming into that system, learning new frameworks, learning new ways of um, how to recruit, how to retain teams, how to drive revenue, it put me on the path to greatness. If Am I there? Maybe, maybe not. That's up to other people to determine, but at least I'm on that path. Uh, I think as well, if you look at some of you know, the younger reps as well, again, that experience um, plays a big component. What a mentor said to me once, look, the only difference between you and I is that I've got 15 years experience on you, right? The intelligence there, the um, potentials there, but that individual had seen more situations, more circumstances than myself, so you had to cope with it. Um, and, you know, some of the young individuals are, are gaining that experience, um, but they haven't been exposed to it yet. Um, and you need to be shown what good looks like or great looks like. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know or you're operating in a different world. And then again, that's rapidly changing as well. So if you've got the potential, the want and the passion, you can definitely move from good to great. But you've got to have those those factors. If you don't, you, you can't make that shift. And then you need a great person to show you what that next level looks like or how to unlock that next level. So in interview processes, you know, we're looking for that potential and the way to go look for it is, again, you know, it comes down to have they face challenges in their life or in previous lives. How do they cope with it? How do they manage it? Um, what is the passion to do a little bit more? And testing that, as I said, through the process. Another one could be um, setting a, a task for that individual to do during that interview cycle. And you'll understand how much they want it by the effort that's put in and then how that's executed um, you know, in, that, uh, in that simulation. It sounds like resilience is a is um a component that's ringing really loudly during that experience right and time served as well definitely um, well if you if you really want something you're going to put the time into it right and put the effort into it and you know in the sales and SaaS world you need resilience there's lots of no's um you know there's lots of having to do a little bit more uh and again in this time you know to go sell to to customers there's a shift into selling to cfos as well so that's a new skill set that you need to go and, and learn. And again, there might be a few more no's and, uh, before you get that yes. So that resilience is critical. Your time at Dynamics perhaps was a real um, good example of this, having some exposure to what the culture and success was like over there some time ago. I'd probably relate it to my own experience in sport. Again, going into an environment where you realize, wow, people around me are great. You're at a level quite quickly. Um, and it being quite difficult and just having to grit your teeth and get through it day, but not get through it, but, you know, go through some tough times and um, really hang in there. And the learning development during that time is is massive compared to just, you know, going through the motions that you might do in another role. Based on 15 years plus, what's your observation as to how open to that kind of resilience building role? Mm are uh, reps coming through now versus 10, 15 years ago, if there is a difference? Well, that's a good question. I think that comes down to the uh, to the person. I, I don't think it's shifted that much. I think 
the probably the biggest difference between 10, 15 years ago to now is individuals' attention spans are a lot shorter. The digital world, you know, on the apps, Facebook, whatever it may be, people want information quickly and they want to learn quickly. So they might not put as much effort in to you know, completing something or learning something as we did 15 years ago, because again, they want that information just crunched and, and simulated quickly enough so they can finish that and move on to the onto the next thing. That's probably the, the biggest thing that I've noticed in a shift from 10 to 15 years ago to um, today. Uh, even my kids, they're young and they're constantly saying, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? Or what are we going to do next? Even after, you know, five or 10 minutes of one activity. So that, that's probably the biggest shift. Do your expectations on assessing resilience, do they change a little bit for a newcomer or a grad joining ClickUp in terms of how you'd assess them versus the way you might have done 10 years ago? No, I think, look, the, the simulations, the interview questions, those still hold true. Uh, I, I don't think that that shifted that much. I haven't changed that much. Great performers are um, in short supply, right? Everybody wants them. How different is it having them in your organization and how do you coach them that might be yeah. different if it is to other performers? Yeah. I mean, the very, very obvious one is do not micromanage a great performer. <laughs> you hire them for a reason because they're great. They're smart enough. They know what to do. Um, of course, there's learning and so on. But you don't need to be on their back, you know, every day. And I think sometimes people lose that because they have this great performer. They want them to do more. So they think micromanaging will enable them to do more and it, it works in the reverse. I think if you look at great performers, they're problem solvers. Um, they want to have a look at a situation, see if they can come up with a couple of options first and see if it makes sense. And that allows them to go through the learning. Then as coaches, they'll want to come to us and say, Hey, I've thought about this problem. Here's what I'm thinking and bounce that ideas off you. And then it's you know up to you as the coach to provide guidance or experience from previous lives or stories or whatever it may be to navigate through um, solving that problem. And I think that's what great performers want. I know at least when, as I was, was continuing to upskill, I would love to gain a problem, understand it, see if I can solve it, and then see if I was on the right direction and, and then continue. So I think that's what great performers want. Um, and great performers crave coaching and feedback. That's what I've learned as well. They want to continue on that path, but they want to have that option to at least see if I can solve it first myself. Um, I think the second part of that is you want to continue stretch great performers as well. And that could be um, giving them more visibility into the business and what's going on and see what they think around that. As well as if you've got projects that are running in the business, you can assign these great performers to those projects as well, which allows them to create more skills, get more scope and then help them with their career path. And that could be into leadership or even more senior roles within the organization um, and even lateral movements as well into other departments. You have different coaching styles for different individuals based on their contribution and the way the way they sell. Yeah, I think it's situationally based and maybe not the way they sell to us, just probably a little bit more based on experience and skill sets. Um, if you've got younger people coming through, they'll definitely need more direction. And sometimes they just need to be told what to do, head on that way, try it, and then learn from it. Um, or you'll have people that are more experienced, like I said, that you want to stretch into different areas. So it's definitely situationally based. And what I'm thinking about when I ask that question is, again, the sport anecdote, the Eric Cantona of Manchester United gets a little bit of a different relationship with Sir Alex Ferguson, the rest of the team do. Um, 
does a superstar top performer in SaaS sales have a different relationship with the VP sales to others? And how do you re- re- relate that to the wider team, if so? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about even Virat Kohli. I'm pretty sure the coach of the Indian cricket team uh, doesn't tell Virat Kohli what to do. will motivate them along the way. Right. Um, it, look, it's not really communicated to other people within the team, right? It's like I said, you've got these different levels within the business. And as a leader, you need to assess, first of all, what's going to motivate that person and get them up each day. Um, and then where are their skill sets lying and where do they want to head into the future? And your coaching plan is going to be set up on the back of that. How much of performance of these great performers we talk to, we talk about are channeled, fueled by their inherent mindset and how much of it is skill-based? Yeah, this is another good good question, right? It's that, you know, if you look at the mindset piece, it's around character and skill set is obviously, you know, ability to do the job. Uh, they need to be balanced. Um, you know, you need to have both. But if I'm looking at individuals, where I see the most success is around mindset. Um, mindset, it's really difficult to coach. Um, you can set up a great environment to have positive mindsets and to do a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I can't make you do anything. Just like, Jonjo, you couldn't make me do this webcast. I need to be motivated to go uh, and do it. So I think you're born with it. It's inherent into you. You know, individuals want to do more. They want to perform. And it comes down to passion and so on. And like I said, that's something I can't really teach. On the skill set side, you can teach it. You can tell, uh, so coach people how to um, run better pipeline generation or how to reach an economic buy or how to have that conversation. Those are skill sets that you can learn. So when I'm looking into the business, I'd rather hire someone that's got a great mindset and wants to do more. Maybe the skill set might be slightly lower as opposed to someone that's really high in skill set with a poor mindset, because that leads to inconsistency. It could be greatness one day. It could be terrible the next day. It could be great one quarter, not so great the next quarter, because that motivation to do more is not there. So I'd rather hire someone with a great mindset, slightly like Slow, slightly lower skill set, and then coach that skill set to to become better. Um, and I go back to Virat Kohli, right? If you think about the great sports people, now don't get me wrong, he's highly skilled. I'm not saying that, but his drive and motivation to do more each day is second to none. First in the gym, last to leave. That goes across Tiger Woods, you know, Michael Jordan, whoever you may might may be speaking of. But even though the skill set is there, that drive, inherent drive to do more is is very very um prevalent right um so I, as we're going through the interview process we're looking for people with that positive mindset you're a parent right what's what's your experience of whether mindset within particular realms such as resilience how much of it could be molded during a child's early years and it's a big question where perhaps we might not get the answer to today but in your experience, do you do you feel that there is some opportunity to mould resilience, um, or like you said, are you born with it? Yeah. So I I think we will we'll come from look. You you can be born with it, but it's definitely created in that environment as a youngster. I was telling the story earlier, seeing your parents, or at least my parents, working hard, doing what it takes. So that becomes part of your DNA. Uh with our children, we're a little bit less forceful than what my parents were on trying to do more. And we're trying to guide them to come up with their own decisions, but still showing a work ethic of um, you need to work hard to get what you what you need. And you know, interestingly enough, a little while ago, 
we asked the kids, or actually the kids came up with this question, uh, we want to do three adjectives of each other um, for you know everyone in the family, a family of five. And the kids' adjective for uh, myself and my wife was hardworking. So that's already starting to show through even at that age. And then setting that environment to work hard, you might not necessarily get the outcome, but as long as you're putting in the input, that's the main part, right? That's the the path onto that um, to that greatness. So we're starting to set that up with the children, at least from a young age. That's a great result. And to hear you talk about your own parents and the philosophy that they instill in you, you know, you light up when you talk about hard work, actually. So that's, that's obviously something that um, is being passed down to generation. And it's interesting because there's a study which I think about a lot, actually, the Carol Dweck um, research into mindset and resilience. And they did some interesting work around um, giving children uh, praise for effort versus yeah. praise for talent in certain situations had a, a direct correlation on performance. So those that were given a praise based on their effort in an activity <clears throat> went on to perform really well in other activities because they approached it with um, a philosophy around trying things and challenging, them, challenging themselves. And that was the outcome. Those that were praised on their talent actually shied away from other activities because they were they were worried about their perceived um identity being broken because they wouldn't be able to achieve other tasks so yeah it sounds like your uh family direct example of that yeah the other thing we do we we say to them look try everything just put effort into it um our eldest wanted to learn piano and we said go for it but don't just do it for six weeks eight weeks and then give up because you're never going to learn anything in that period so if you want to do it we're going to be completely supportive and two years on she's still um, practicing a piano and she's getting better and better and better. Um, so again, I think that's another example of just setting up that right environment. Is there a point in that scenario where you would have instilled some force to say, give me an extra three months, for instance, you know, give me three months and then you can quit. Do you feel like if we'd, you'd have got to that point or? Yeah, look, she plays netball as well. Um, she won't listen to this podcast. She's not the greatest at netball. Um, but she likes to try and she enjoys the, um, you know, the bonding with the different friends. And, and again, we just said, look, if you want to do it again, you know, go for it. Um, but again, we were just slightly guiding her into some activities that yeah, she, she's just more capable of. So you, you've got to also have that point. Nice. Um, elite performance, how would you define it? Yeah. Another really good question that you could talk on for hours. Uh, I put it down to consistency. I think that's what summarizes it. Um, and again, that holds true in the sport world, right? So consistency day on day, week on week, month on month, quarter on quarter, year on year. I I don't see any point of hitting a home run on the last day of the financial year, which then might mask some of the challenges that happened earlier in the year. Similarly, there's no point saying I hit it one quarter, missed the next two quarters, hit it again, missed one that's not really elite performance. If you look at elite performance across any category, business, sport, whatever it may be, they are consistently overachieving and performing the majority of the time. And the way to go create that consistency is what I said earlier. Focus on your pipeline generation, embrace the sales process, use some indicators so you can predict future performance, and then continue to learn and develop um, skill sets as well, you know, within that industry. If I look back at some of the people you know that I've worked with in the past, they've embraced some of those philosophies 
and they were consistent, you know, eight, nine, ten quarters in a row. And then that led into promotion. So that could be promotion into a more senior role. Or in this case, these two individuals got promoted into leadership. They then took that skill set and then coached their team on similar philosophies and then made those teams successful as well. So to me, elite performance comes down to consistency. And that's if I could boil down um, one consistency between all of the elite performers I've had on the po- podcast today it is that people talk about doing the work more than they do talk about achieving a sales target or earning um, compensation. I, I suspect that the reason for getting up every day and being consistent and doing the work is unique to each person, right? Um, if you really deep dive into it. And I think most people don't, they probably don't get that far. Um, they might have an external goal and, you know, this is where I, where I am. But I think to be consistent every day in something that's tough, there's something that's driving you within. Um, you mentioned philosophy and you read yourself. Could you, do you think you could, could align your day-to-day existence and the way that you are a successful elite performer? Could you boil it down to a philosophy? In terms of my belief and the why? The why, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so my why has changed um, a bit. Uh, before, it was, you know, try to be the best I can, and, and that's still prevalent. I'm always trying to improve that. But it's shifted a lot, and it's got that people-first approach. So it's trying to make the people that I interact with, you know, whether it's in work, daily life, partners, and customers, it's to try to help them be the best versions of themselves and drive the right outcome. And that goes through to children, family, et cetera. Because at the end of the day, I think, one of the main reasons we're put on this earth, and now this is really going up into the clouds, is to help each other um, and help each other as a society. And that's a little bit lost at the moment. So I'm always trying to take that perspective into any interaction that I'm having, even just at the coffee shop, even just simple things, uh, saying, thank you, have a good day. A lot of that is is lost. um, And that can just brighten up people's people's lives or helping you know, the more elderly across the road or whatever it may be, right? There's all these little things that make such a big difference. So if I boil it all down into what gets me up each day and motivates me, because, you know, sales can be a grind sometimes. It's just that constant helping of individuals, both within the organization and externally. All right. Interesting. Um, and that could be your reps helping them achieve their own goals. By right. way of, so where does, where does SaaS as an industry fit in? Is it, is it a vehicle to help people achieve that goal how do you how do you bring it all together yeah so each individual is different right so it's what outcome are they trying to achieve um and i always say we're trying to help individuals get better so they can do what they want in this organization again through promotions or achieving quota or it might be a stepping stone into another organization and that's completely fine as well if you're looking at customers you know they're trying to achieve certain revenue numbers growth numbers can we help them through our technology? And if you look at ClickUp, making companies more efficient so they can run more projects and help their customers more aligns with that value as well. And then from a partner perspective, they're trying to do something similar, right? They're trying to grow their business, um, save on the bottom line, um, attract more customers. And again, through our technology, they can go and do that. So all of those three you know, main people that we're helping can all be driven through this SaaS world. At, at what point did you go through this why assessment? Was there a, a clear break in the road or have you always been quite philosophical? Uh, so 
the whys really started to come into me as I was making the transfer into AppDynamics. And then, you know, it's just this constant revisit of why am I getting up in the morning? Why am I doing what I'm doing? You know, you're constantly trying to reflect on your life. At least, at least I am. This transition into this type of why didn't happen when my children was born. So maybe you thought that. It was post that. And as we were coming into COVID, it really started to um, become more prominent in my mind. And then with COVID, we had a lot of time to think, right? So a lot of time by yourself, a lot of time inside. And then this just started to develop um, more and more. So what's that, last three, four years? Right. Yeah, great. And you feel you have um, more motivation, um, more endurance what what's the what's the result Definitely. Of it? i think i think money and promotions only get you to a certain place uh and then you're always trying to strive for that a little bit more and this becomes i think a little bit more fulfilling in what you're trying to do each day and like i said if you can look after the people and help them on what they're trying to get to uh, i think it will also lead to a better business absolutely so we're into um, the daily or weekly routine. Um, I'm always keen to understand what LA performers are doing day to day, hour to Too hour. much. That's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I have to just look at your calendar. But talk us through a typical day for yourself, Ankesh. Mm. So I'll, look, I'll talk of the week. My week really starts on Sunday. I always spend one hour on Sunday, either in the morning or afternoon, just depending on the weekly on the weekend schedule on um, preparing for the week, but just one hour. So it's short, sharp, and succinct. And that one hour is setting up the schedule for the next two weeks in terms of calendar, um, that it's looking through data, and then focusing on what the three main big rocks are for that week. Because if you can complete those, obviously there's more, but if you can complete those, you feel like you've got somewhere that week. Because sometimes you just feel like the grind is there and you haven't got anywhere. So it's always top three. That then means on Monday, I'll do a quick review of that again, just to get the mind right. Uh, and then start executing straight away on Monday. So there's no two, three hours trying to get into the week. You're already ahead or you feel like you're ahead. Monday is as many internal meetings as you can complete in that day. So they're not bleeding into Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Um, so it would be one-on-ones, ecosystem meetings, et cetera. That then opens up Tuesday to Thursday for coaching, customer meetings, partner meetings, and I'm guiding myself on those. So at the moment, trying to do four partner meetings per week as we build that motion. And then Friday, learning and development day, we do lunch and learns for the team. There could be opportunity reviews, so a little bit more of a reflective day. And then before I close up on the Friday, I'll always do a quick reflection for half an hour just to see what we've got to for the week in preparation for the um, prep on Sunday. And that's kind of high level. The other thing is I do to get ready for the day as you start to drill into the day is I'm up relatively early. So I'll always meditate first, get the mindset right, get some clarity. I'll always do some exercise to get the energy going. So, you know, weights, uh, go for a run, whatever it may be. And then reading, 20, 30 minutes of reading. At least for me, I find if I don't do it in the morning, you get into your daily um, work routine. I've got kids in the evening. It just seems to go a bit crazy. So I always try to do that in the morning and then ready for work. In the evenings, once I've completed work, you need some rest and relaxation. So once the kids are down, Obviously, it's dinner, whatever it may be, and then just something in the downtime to relax the brain. Documentary. I'm a big sports fan, so at the moment I'm watching the Cricket World Cup, so it's a good way just to switch off the brain and then get ready for the next day. And I don't have any notifications on my phone, <laughs> and that's specific at all. So if I need to go see someone, I need to go look into it because otherwise my phone is pinging nonstop. Um, so I'm going to let everyone into a secret. If you want to get me, call me. Then I'll answer it as long as I've got your number in my phone. 
keep that in mind i guess yeah. <laughs> uh, it sounds like a pretty textbook elite performer week um actually minus the maybe uh ice baths but everything else seems to be oh like- no i do i sorry i yes i have started the ice baths i've been a bit lazy recently so i've been doing that on sundays as well but right. not the last a couple of months i've been a bit cold and um, what kind of meditation do you do uh it depends so i'll do a bit of yoga on fridays uh and then a meditation could be a guided one or i'll run it myself um it's usually 10 15 minutes in the morning nice fantastic um a unique insight into uh one of the top performers top leaders in the SaaS sales industry ankesh so thanks so much um learn mm-hmm. a lot um if others you know juniors are coming up um want to learn more about yourself and um, some of the things you you teach to others, I'm sure they can stop by your LinkedIn profile. Go for it. it. Yeah. yeah, I do get uh, do get messages time to time, and always respond and try to see as many people as I can speak to. So if anyone has any questions, of course, just reach out. Appreciate it, Ankesh. Thanks again. Brilliant. Thank you.